Welcome to Walk the Line, the podcast for people working in offsite construction, hosted by Chris Ward from Trunk. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Could you just start off telling me a bit about yourself and your role at Matterlab? Absolutely, mate. I'm David Flynn, one of the co-founders at Matterlab, who are also building a product called Cope, essentially one big company that we're developing that through. I'm originally an architectural technician, so it's been quite a journey moving from that into product building and software development, quite a journey. And in the meantime, over that time, it maybe 20 years in the industry now, I was a CAD and then BIM manager for the likes of uh, KPF and Grimshaw and Amanda Levette Architects. So done the rounds, been in a few different places, left the industry pretty much about seven years ago and started a small consulting company with my colleague, Mark. And we were acquired then after about two years, worked with the company that acquired us, and then we set up the current business. And tell me a bit about, about Matalab uh, and also the reason we're speaking at this series of interviews is called Interesting People Who Are Working Offside, but actually you've got a very interesting product, which was the first thing that came up for us, Cope AI uh, product. So sure. tell me a bit about Matalab first and then about Cope AI, how, how that fits and, and how it's... Absolutely, mate. Yeah, so I think the kind of origin of basically where we started all of this from was that we were the type of staff who were at the coalface of big construction projects. So. We would typically be at the end of the production process, lots of architects and engineers in the background doing their work, and we would be there getting everything across the line. So quite a challenging process, a lot of manual work, a lot of repetition. And we got to a point where we were saying, you know what, there's enough tools out there like Dynamo, Grasshopper, some of these more computational tools that we can actually start to streamline this. So we, we left the industry, we decided to set up Design Tech, which is that first consultancy. And uh, we basically consulted that type of tech into small architectural offices. So not too complex, nothing too fancy. When we decided to set up Matterlab, we wanted to take that to the next level. So we wanted to actually build small products that would sit in our customers' workflows, not necessarily building a Dynamo script and only having one computer whiz in the corner being able to use it. So we wanted to broaden that out. So where that went to was to basically say, I have to live in the Autodesk sphere. They have such a significant amount of the market that Revit was a pretty dominant part of our lives. So we started to build tools for that. For BIM 360, we started to work very closely with Autodesk in relation to how that tool, how those tools work. And that was going pretty well. And weirdly enough, I think it was such a shock to us all. We were engaged by Ilka Holmes, Volumetric Modular Builder, and they completely changed how we are as a business. So the initial first year of what we were doing prior to COVID was very much focused around that Autodesk space. And then it suddenly shifted into learning about Volumetric Modular unbelievably different for us. So it was quite a lot of learning and we spent some time with them just before COVID started. So we were able to visit the factory, meet the team, have a pretty great experience with them. And we decided that we were going to try to revolutionize what they were doing inside the design team. So focused around automating processes, getting rid of manual work on drawings, being able to push information from their models into their machining on the factory floor. Then COVID hit really changed what we were doing as a business because we lost a lot of work. That hands-on consulting piece just stopped across the board. A lot of businesses really suffered from that. We were very fortunate that we had the, the, the core Autodesk piece where we were writing code for Revit, writing code for Dynamo, but also the Ilka piece where we were able to say, we actually don't need to see each other every day. We can get together on some Teams calls. We can put some, some ideas together, some questions together, and then go build the code. So that was incredibly <laughs> two, over two years ago now. But what that did to the business was it basically said, there is a significant opportunity in the offside construction space. And 
there is a significant lack of technology in that area. So there's lots of players, there's lots of things going on. What you guys are doing is fantastic as well. We wanted to be able to fill a very niche space, which was taking design, pushing into manufacturing really quite as fast as we possibly could. All of that was leveraged off of what we did with Ilka Homes. And it's been quite a journey for us to be able to say, what does a consulting piece look like for a volumetric builder? We're going to build your product that sits within or a tool that sits within Revit. How do we then make that agnostic? And that's where Cope was born. So basically Cope references a kit of parts engine. So that's what Cope means. And the idea behind that was to say, actually, we have a lot of reasons for us to take a design file or lots of design content, 3D models, reports, schedules, ERP, PMS systems, all of that information and pushing them across into manufacturing in a really fast way. Now, that's incredibly complex because you've got lots of players, lots of tools, lots of designers. It's a very difficult space to work in, but we decided to take on the challenge. So that's where we are with Cope. And over the last maybe six months, we've really re-engineered the team. So we have a core consulting group and then we have maybe four-fifths of the business, which is now developing Cope as a tool for the industry. Right. Okay. What does that team look like? Not necessarily names and possibly roles, but are you a team of, of coders first, or is it a team of uh, sort of people with architectural background first, manufacturing background? What's the team roughly look like? Yeah, it's, it's actually a mix of all of those things. When we took on this journey with MatterLab, we always articulated to our clients, especially on the design side, the days of having a team of engineers and technicians or architects and technicians, those days are done. You need to have software developers in your team. You need to have computational designers in your team. And as the market kind of evolved, we basically filled that role for a lot of partners. But now they seem to have them in-house, which is very exciting for everybody to be able to have that skill set. And so what we've had to do is really respond to that as well. So we put a team together who are significantly software development skill set, not necessarily a lot of industry knowledge. So very much about how a tool will be working, put together, how the code works, how to bring something to market. And then we also have the second side of the team, which is the kind of, to be honest, the kind of core original MatterLab team. So lots of computational designers, lots of algorithm writers, and some very smart people from the industry, ex-architects, engineers, a couple of technicians. And then we're starting to bring in skill set now from industry directly, who wouldn't necessarily know the two core original parts, but they're bringing that industry knowledge in. So it's a very broad, wide, kind of varied skill set team at the moment. Interesting. Did you say that Ilka was your first time in a volumetric factory? Yeah, yeah. It was. I remember speaking to Giles and Dave when we visited there, two of the senior people at Ilka, and myself and my partner went there for the first visit. And we were expecting robots, to be honest. We were expecting crazy flying cars and cool tech and anti-gravity stuff and just like sci-fi. And we got there and it was a very formal construction process under a roof. It was very organized. It was very clinical how everything moved through each station, but the technology didn't feel usually exciting. It felt relatively what I would expect on a building site to a certain extent, just much tidier, cleaner, more organized. That was a very strange experience because I think my background, having been in architectural offices, would have been going to very wet, very messy, muddy sites, checking facade details, checking some of the snagging that's going on internally. And then for us to go to a place that was completely pristine, very clinical, I suppose that was the big piece of learning for us, but it was, it was quite a journey. And since then we've been to the top hat factory and we've been to countryside and it's been wonderful to see the subtle differences of the way that they all work. And whether it be a panelized system requiring a certain line 
or whether it be volumetric requiring a certain, certain way that the stations are all organized quite different to each other. So that's been a massive learning experience for us. Definitely. I can imagine, um, we, we've described the space from visiting factories and seeing what we see has been a little bit like the early days of the internet. Absolutely. Very different approaches, very big successes, big failures, collaboration going on. I think which is really important when people are working things out, but yeah, it's the standard, let's say the best ways of doing things are still evolving. Still evolving. Absolutely. And I don't think that anyone has the right answer yet. It's very much including us. It's going to take a lot of collaboration in the industry to get there. And definitely from what we've seen that that collaboration is happening and there is a lot of knowledge sharing. I think our work with Ilka has been an opportunity for us to learn as much as them, but it's also been an opportunity for us to maybe speak publicly about some of the things that we think could be done better, which has been quite pleasant and quite a nice thing to be able to do. I always think back to the very first time that we visited the factory at Ilka. And I don't know if you've been there yourself, Chris, but they basically have the factory, which is the old yellow, yellow pages printing press building. And then they have their office building next to it. And there's a kind of a glass corridor between the two. And I always joked with them that there was a, there was a symbolism in that corridor in relation to the way that data was being transferred between those two teams. Many times that we would be there, someone would run in from the factory floor with the drawing and they say, look, I need this change. This is relating to something on the floor. I need you to update this. But there wasn't any sort of like fixed system between the two. It was just very collaborative, which is a good thing in itself, but it was, it definitely needed a little bit of technology to, to lift it up, which is what we focused on then. So where we landed on that process was to basically get that glass bridge and compress it down and make sure that we were able to transfer data between them seamlessly, which is where we've landed at the moment. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. So that, that first visit to Ilka, that work with Ilka, first experience in uh, volumetric offsite, then it's been quite important, pivotal, let's say, to the business Huge. team and, and from that direction. What were the things then that gave you the light bulb moments of like, okay, this is where we need to take company. You can see there's a need there. Um, and there's something to be improved, resolved, whatever, you know, move that on. That's yeah. normal when you engage with a new customer. Something in that moment when you went in, so this is the direction we need to take the company. What were those things maybe looking I think probably a couple of things. There was, I think on a really fundamental level, there was a moment basically where we just saw an opportunity to flex our muscles a little bit. So there was a piece of work being done in relation to automation of content in a model. And basically what Ilko needed to do at a very high rate was to be able to place content into a 3D model to have it show on drawings really fast. And there was a team working through and we just said, you know, what, we've got all this consulting experience of delivering dynamo definitions and not scripts to be able to do this work. So we went away for a couple of days and said, look, we can do this automatically for you. Here you go. So a very small piece of work then said, well, how much content do you actually want in this model? Because maybe we could do this for everything. Like maybe it could be every element that's being placed on the factory floor could be put into a model, not just the one thing that we were looking at, which was fixings. And that kind of, that was the light bulb moment originally. And we didn't really fully understand the scope of that. It took two years in the end, and it's still an ongoing process. Ilk is an ever-evolving business with a huge order sheet and a lot of pressures on them to deliver at speed. So we've always tried to sit in behind them and not slow them down too much. And so what was fascinating for us was, can you actually model everything automatically? Can you actually use construction logic and the experience of their team in code? And that's where we got to. And it's been really fun to watch a meeting that we have, let's say in February of 2020, and we're discussing the way that the plasterboard panels are placed onto one of their boundary walls. And to see that code being written 
and then all of the logic being articulated into the model. So at the moment where we landed with Ilka X was that we were able to create all of the plasterboard, all of the OSB, all of the fixings, openings, insulation, brick, panels, everything automatically based on rules. And those rules are able to be adjusted. What's interesting about it, I think one of the massive pieces of learnings that we took from this was that when we went to Ilka, and I don't necessarily want to linger too much in Ilka because they are, they're very much one of a community of companies who are doing this, but none of these volumetric companies have a product. They don't have a singular element that they're able to reproduce, let's say an iPhone or a car or any of these other industries that we talk about so much. It, the subtle differences in relation to where they are in the country, where they are in time, like the, the evolution of their product getting better and better, possible customer variations, the way that, you know, certain elements cost more and so they might change their supplier. All of those subtleties mean that there isn't a typical fixed product. And where we landed on that process was to say, okay, cool. That's what we do. That's what the industry does. There is no fixed product, but how about we have a fixed agenda and we have a fixed process and a fixed vision and those things get locked and all the subtleties of design can then be flexed using computation. And that's what essentially LKX is all about. The idea that you can put in a slightly varied design and all of your production content is made anyway, because those logics don't change. Plasterboard doesn't necessarily change too much the way that an opening works, the way that a socket or a plug sits on the wall. Those things are pretty fixed. So that's the core of that, but it's been a, yeah, it's been quite an interesting journey for us to just understand the fact that is a huge amount of variation across these products. Yeah, I can imagine. I've definitely seen that firsthand and I've spoken to others who are far more knowledgeable than I am about design, DFMA, turning sure. a, almost a traditional build mindset into designing for products, let's say, and then yeah. getting that out of the factory floor. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. And what's that meant then to Ilka? So um, this sort of system and software is in place now. That meant anything financially? Or would the, the guys in the shop floor say, we now work in a different way? I suppose, what's the end result of putting that system in place? It's a couple of different things. It's like, I, I try to be realist about some of these things and there is no, there is no silver bullet for a lot of these problems that we have in the industry. I think we're going to have to come together in lots of different ways. And what's been so exciting about working with Ilka is that they've gone to other companies, other consultants, and they add their little parts to the process. So everyone's coming together to, to build a solution. I think the major impacts that we've had building this with them has been the fact that when we started there, there was a considerable design team just making Revit updates and constant changes in Revit. And we're big fans of Revit. We've been using it for yeah, a long time, but it's it kind of works when you're doing architecture in a traditional sense or an office block or even something as complex as an airport. Those things work well in Revit, but when do you want something that's ultra standardized? And yes, it has variation, but it has a cohesive center. Revit's really quite flawed. It just doesn't really work. We've worked with some partners who might have, let's say 10 house types and they'll have three, four, 500 Revit files just to be able to manage those 10 house types. It's crazy. So one of the things that's been really impactful has been, we have reduced the headcount in relation to the amount of people having to process Revit content. And so we've been able to have that resource elsewhere in the business. We've also reduced the, they used Inventor quite a lot. So we've reduced the use of Inventor. We pretty much removed AutoCAD from the process, which was very much a legacy and being able to streamline that down. So being able to bring in talent, being able to train people in the Ilka way has been a lot more streamlined. And then the second side of that then is to be able to iterate at speed. So being able to have, for the first time, I'd say the ability to have nearly 
something that would equate to a digital twin of a module. I'm always a bit sensitive about that term. It has lots of different connotations in different areas. But I think for us, every single volumetric modular company that we've worked with, except for one who we're partnered with from Canada, every one of them model houses. And that house is made up of links that are basically modules and they represent what they're making on the factory floor. And what we really drilled in with the team at Ilka, and to be fair to them, they instigated this conversation, but they were very focused on this, was to say, we're not building houses in the floor. We're building houses on site. We're bringing a house to the site. We're building a module and what is in that module. And so what we tried to do is to focus around that. And if you now go into the brand new house types that Ilka have, you've got a one-to-one representation of every panel, every fixing, all the insulation pieces, all of the MEP, everything is there one-to-one. So we're able to slice and dice those models and see exactly what's in them. And it opens up the opportunity then for sales in relation to VR and AR and all of these different aspects to it. So it's been a massive change on that front for them. Interesting. Interesting. And then from your point, I mean, being going deep with Ilka, but then we have to see it with the, yeah. of the house builders in the, in the industry. What might you say are the patterns that you can spot? You can go, okay, the offsite volumetric industry is having lots of problems with this. This is the patterns I spot, or actually this is the things they're doing really well that surprised me. Um, you have spot new patterns there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing for us at the moment, and we've actually got a small team working through this at the, right now, is the way that the bill of materials is done in the industry. The way that the understanding of the actual content that's in a home is quite flawed. It's, I think we're all used to the old process of basically handing something to a QS and depending on the level of that QS or the way the style of their approach, they might take a ruler or they may use takeoff tool or they may eyeball things, lots of different processes for them. They'll also have a relatively complex data set where they're able to say this equates to this. So this is the quantity or this is the cost. So that process is okay. I think in, in traditional construction, I think that's fine at the, at the end of the day. We've all seen skips full of waste material. So it seems to be built into the industry that there is a, a lack of understanding of exact cost, a lack of understanding of exact material, and then waste is just a given. And that's just not the world we live in anymore. We've, we've lost control of that a little bit over the last few years. And one of the things that we're focused on, and we're seeing this trend now for everyone that we're working with an offsite has been to say, we want to know exactly what is in this panel, this system, this module exactly what's in it. And anyone who's listening to this or watching this, who will have used Revit in the past, will know that tool is just not capable of giving you that precision because it would require you to model everything at a incredibly high level of detail that would just be counterproductive. So what we've been focused on is to say, well, actually there's certain rules and things. I'll give you an example, Chris, of this. If you are wrapping a module or a system in a membrane, that membrane is going to be wrapped and then another layer is going to be wrapped, but the overlap of those two is not calculated. It's just a linear length of we're using four reams of this material. We're not necessarily understanding that actually, if we change this, well, then we're going to have more efficiency across the module. If we overlap by an extra 10% or whatever it is, we're going to get this performance change. All those things are not really understood and there's just this inherent waste. So we have been working very closely with a few different companies now to work on the bomb. So understand how can you get that building materials absolutely nailed, but also then tying it into to your suppliers. And what's in, what's exciting about it is that 
one of the core goals of what Cope is doing is to open up the transparency of what's available in the market. We've had some very strange conversations with companies where they're, we're talking to them about offsite and moving things away from traditional construction. And one of the arguments is, I don't know what's available. Like the, the marketplace is just not really structured in a way for me to see what can be done. It's typically going to go through a contractor's prior arrangements and their own supply chain. Maybe there's a framework for them that they might have, but there's not necessarily a lot of visibility in what's available. So what we're trying to do is tie in what we're doing on the bomb to understand exactly the materiality of what's being built, but also who's putting it in, who's supplying it. And it's been such a weird journey for us. I think one of the things that we learned quite quickly was that we did a piece of work a while ago with Langer Work, and it was around plasterboard in office blocks and organizing the way that was done and basically optimizing it for the least amount of waste. And then we realized that actually, if you look at an Ilka or a Top Hat or a Berkeley Modular, they're using a huge amount of plasterboard. They're using as much plasterboard as anybody in the industry. So while you might think of a module as the thing that you're buying as the client, they're a purchaser of the plasterboard, the same as you might be if you were doing a traditional construction. So the supply chains are all pretty linear. There's, there's a lot of similarities in how they work. The materiality that goes into a module is pretty similar to what goes into a house in a traditional construction. So we've been trying to focus around that and trying to build something that kind of addresses that directly. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And if on the spot sort of sales pitch almost to you for you, Dave, probably I don't catch you off guard with it, but if we were to say I'm a, I'm an offsite manufacturer, I've got a factory, volumetric factory, and I've got these problems and you say that would be a perfect match for Cope to come and assist with that. What might those problems be today? So if you were a manufacturer, well, I think on manufacturer design with your own design team. Yeah, sure. I think on the manufacturing side, we want to basically expose the fact that product exists in market. So as a first piece, so there's a couple of answers to that. So the first part of that is that we've been working alongside cast consultants for six months or so now to build a, a basically a marketplace where you can go and have visibility on these, on this content. So probably around the time that this goes out, we'll be launching. So that's looking really nice. It's, it's come together really well. And the idea behind that firstly is to basically say, there is some incredible manufacturing skills in this country, unbelievable skills. And there is also very good regional products that are not necessarily used across the country. And we want to open that up and say, look, to be able to transport something across Britain is significantly better than you're trying to buy something from China. And if you're able to understand the logistics of that purchasing process, and it fits into your procurement strategy, you're able to make sure that your buildings are going to be better and more effective. So we want to make sure that that visibility is there. But I think the bit that's exciting for me personally is the other side of this. So we create this opportunity for visibility where you as a purchaser, wherever you sit in the chain, sees what's available. But we also want to be able to instantly implement exactly what that product is into your design. So if you think of the Ilka example where you have a surface and the product is raw plasterboard, just sheets of plasterboard, what we're then creating is just the way that plasterboard is arranged on the wall. But how about you actually have a much more complex building and you want to use a panelized uh, set system? You want to use something that's actually a little bit more complex and it has relationships to different edge conditions, the way this sits on the floor, the way it hits the ceiling, the way it hits, let's say, a concrete wall. All those different things at the moment happen typically post-tender. It happens quite late in the process. And the reason for that is because the amount of production work required to do that is significant. You are only really able to spend the time on maybe one option. 
So you might see two or three suppliers who you want to implement on your building. It's just too much work, to be honest. If you want to put a floor cassette in, there's one supplier, you're going to give it a shot. You're going to understand how it works. You're going to make some cost decisions. Yes or no, move forward. That stuff takes months. Now, what we are trying to do as, a, as the kind of the center piece of what Cope is to say, well, actually, the supply chain is known to you. Your design file is already up to a stage of basic geometry. We understand what it is. Push the two together using significant amounts of algorithms and lots of complex tech. I'll let, I'll let my team talk about that another time and make sure that we're able to make those decisions really fast. So how about I have a residential block and I want to test a panelized system for the internal petitions. I'm going to be able to just bring in a supplier, connect a supplier and instantly test that against the design. And when I choose it, I'm able to then procure it, have all the production data made, all the drawings, all the schedules automatically output to be able to buy that product from the supplier. So that's the vision. That's the big goal. It's lofty, but I think in relation to us having the right partnerships and the right people alongside us to do that, it's, it's definitely doable. Fantastic. Fantastic. Sounds brilliant. Really modernizing construction there, Dave, shaping, shaping the industry. You've got yeah. your hands around some pretty important bits there that change it from, you say that build, building something in a dirty wet fields to building something in a controlled environment. And we've used the analogy before of the middle bit is almost like you can start a building site with a roof over it, but really the picture at the end should be like an F1 pit stop almost, the, op the operation and then the planning level should, should go into that as well. It's almost F1 style. So yeah, fascinating that you're, you, you, it's been very satisfying to be able to influence things in that as well. It's, it's, it's been interesting. I think one of the things that we're excited about is that the, we actually have a customer using in a very beta sense at the moment, a partner of ours called Barton Mallow in the US, a big uh, contractor there. And they've gotten so much value out of it, even in its early stage state that it is now that they've invested in us in this latest round that we've gone through. And for us, that's just a massive like green flag of like, okay, there's something here. There's something right about the approach. I think where we are as a bunch of people in the team is that we, I think one of our best strengths is that we know relatively what we don't know. We have a good understanding of the spaces that we just don't have a good appreciation for. And so we've been bringing in partners. We've been working with closely with companies who have that skill set. let's say around procurement, whether that be in supply chain, let's say it's directly with contractors about how they actually go through that process of the tender returns, all those different things. We just don't necessarily have enough knowledge on, but if we can put all of these different things together and then build that tech for that, I think we're going to be in a good place. I think what's been exciting has been the idea that if we can really address this properly and we can do this as a group of different companies, all using COPA in whatever format it lands in a couple of years, I think we're looking at the housing shortage as a direct target. That's something that we're really focused on. How can we create quality homes faster? with less waste with the right resource and then in relation to that resource the skill shortage that we have across the industry we have to move some of these processes off site i think we just published a piece on our blog there was talking about how much it costs for some traditional processes on site at the moment astronomical it's going to crush any sort of innovation if we continue down these roads we need to make these changes now and so volumetric is just one side of that we've also got the all the other categories of where we are with mmc and I think what we want to be able to achieve is to say, there is a very low entry point of tech if you want to work offsite, but we're going to give you huge value because we're going to automate all of these processes for you. But the only way to achieve that, Chris, really is to listen and learn, absolutely sit with the right people and take in that knowledge as we go. Yeah, no, I agree. Great approach. Fantastic. 
Um, slight gear change then here. It goes back to some of the questions that we shared ahead of the interview. Often I'll ask people, how's it going? How's it been? And sometimes negatively tend to look at, oh, it's this challenge right now, but actually when we look, there's a lot of successes that have happened. So just tell me about what are some of your successes in the last 12 months? Oh, absolutely. I'm always happy to talk about successes, Chris. Absolutely. We, well, amazingly, we, we went to the building awards last October and we won the, the technology category, which was a massive shock. And I think if anyone who's listening to this or watching this was there that night, you'll probably have seen a reaction. We're a small company. We're growing. We didn't really expect to win that considering who we're competing against, but we were very proud of that win. So that was really exciting for us. And just to dip into the negativity slightly the, after that massive success was that we actually had our toughest few months working on the tool directly after that, because we had this big rollout of production on the modules at Ilka. And we really had to knuckle down together to get that done. That was a huge piece of work, but I think the energy from the win carried us, had that little bit of positivity that kind of filtered through in the process for us. So that was wonderful. And then I think the biggest thing outside of the kind of structural changes within the business has definitely been going through investments. As I said to you earlier, because most of us are architects, engineers, software developers. I don't think anyone in the business has a MBA. I don't think anyone has gone through and sold a company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And those things don't exist in our team. It's been a fascinating experience to actually go out and ask for investment to show what we can do, to talk about vision, to talk about five years, 10 years. It's really adjusted how we see things. So really recently, and we're finalizing everything right now, is our seed round. So we've closed roughly around 2 million pounds at this point. So that's been really exciting for us. And what's been really cool about it has been that half of the people who've invested or companies who've invested have been working on COPE with us. They've seen it in some distant aspect. They've maybe worked on, on a piece of it with us. They've collaborated with us in one respect. So we've got people from Goldman Sachs and Scape, Ilka, and then we've also got Barton Mallow, as I mentioned, from the States, and uh, also Adnode, who own the uh, own Symmetry. It's been really cool. So that's been a nice journey. And I will say, and I hope a few people who are listening to this have probably a similar experience, is that Spending other people's money in relation to building technology is terrifying, but it's also incredibly exciting. It lifts the energy of the team because there's something about wanting to repay that faith and to really deliver for people. So there's a lot of energy in what we're doing at the moment. That's been quite exciting, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. So that, that's been a big key for thing for us in the last 12 months. Fantastic. We're a similar journey as you Absolutely. Roller coaster rides. Yeah, there it is. Sometimes you, you get some feedback and it's like, this guy's clearly know what we're talking about. The PCs, they've done invested in thousands of businesses and we're going to take their feedback on the chin. And then you see the story of the guy who's turned away by a hundred VCs and gone on to be massively successful. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do I just ignore these guys? Because I know I'm closer to it, let's say, but, uh, but yeah, no, I can imagine that's been fantastic. Yeah. There's no formula, is there? There really isn't anything that's uh, pre-written. You read different blog pieces or you read like Twitter threads from these billionaires and millionaires and they're telling you what they've done. You just got to go on your own journey and you got to really just knuckle down and work as hard as you can. And I think the exciting thing for us at the moment is that we're starting to have people come to us about what we can do as opposed to us having to chase. And certainly from the world of consulting, that's a really big shift for us. Very much making sure that you're going out to the offices and you're showing what you're doing. You're able to maybe network in relation to their consultant teams. But with COPE, it's very much about let's learn, let's focus on the learning, let's build the things that we don't fully understand yet. And people are coming to us with that knowledge and it's been, yeah, it's been fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. And then looking ahead then, so what's the, the interesting or exciting thing you'll be working on over the next 12 months? 
So we've basically tried to tighten things down a little bit over, over the next few months. We've been focusing around sheathing in general. So OSB and plasterboard approaches for different construction projects. So is there a way for us to basically get to a point where we have zero material waste on construction projects? It's a big driver for us at the moment. There is processes to do that out there where you're basically calculating and optimizing the way that the sheet might get cut, but we're trying to be a bit more holistic and one of the things that we learned originally around doing sheathing, we actually went to Factory OS in San Francisco in February, and they've got this, they've got a very cool approach to how this works. They actually build their modules from the inside out. So it's quite different to what we've experienced here. And they have a significant amount of material waste that they're really working very hard to remove. And what we've been trying to do is to say, you don't have to reuse all your materials in the same module. And the thinking is always, can I optimize the sheet? or insulation or floor, or it's some, some piece of system in the module. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a bit more open and say, if you have four of these pieces of waste across four modules, they combine to create something for you in another module. And you're able to have that kind of overview of the way that waste is handled. So that's been quite a, quite an interesting piece of work for us to do, optimizing a very kind of poorly regarded material, like it's a material that people expect to see in a skip. It's appalling how much is wasted across the world. Absolutely insane. I think we've got some metrics of that up on, up on our website at the moment. It's insane. And the reality is that we just, we all need to change our working relation to the environment and the way that we're wasting material. And while we don't necessarily have that understanding of the direct environmental impacts on these materials, we're trying to partner with the right companies to understand them. And then to do what we do best, which is to say, if we write the right piece of code here, we're able to give you an opportunity to save that material. So there's a big piece going on there. I think the other side of things at the moment is definitely around cost. Cost is, having been on many a VE exercise of trying to reduce costs on construction projects over my career, it's not something I ever want to do again. It's a pretty tough experience. You, you work through for six months or a year on, on a design, and then it suddenly gets pulled out from under you because you didn't really consider costs accurately enough as you went. We now live in a world where costs are just changing at a terrifying scale, terrifying speed. And so the ability for you to be able to say, well, this is how much a module or a system costs is gone. We don't really have that anymore. So what we want to be able to do is to create that environment where people have a little bit more assurance, a little bit more control over what they have and not necessarily be so beholden to someone's Excel equation that they wrote 10 years ago of how something should be calculated or one supplier that they have because they don't know the other suppliers that they have access to. So it's opening up those two avenues primarily that we'll be focusing on. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And for links a little bit with your sort of helicopter view of the industry, you might say, and being a technology company or something very close to this, but sure. what's the opportunity for technology and offsite to build? Where isn't there? Like, it's incredible. I think I seriously doubt that either of us have spent too much time with anyone in the industry who's particularly happy with it and who's happy with where we are. All of us strive, particularly in the type of companies that, that the two of us are in, to try to do something better. I think the issue that we have typically comes down to the way that people interact with each other and the way the expectations of how certain things are done. But there's an opportunity here to basically kind of change things up a little bit. And whenever I hear the term skill shortage, I also hear the term, well, it's not a term, but I also think about the fact that maybe some of the people who have been blocking the path of innovation are not going to be in the industry very long. And there is a change and there's a new generation coming through in school 
who basically only ever done things in a digital sense. They don't understand what it, it, why would a drawing ever be printed as an example of really fundamental things like that, really basic things that just are not commonplace. I'm unfortunately old enough to have done my degree in on paper with a bit of CAD, but it's definitely not that way anymore. So the idea that you're going to have a factory with people who expect a process that's, that was designed in the early eighties is nonsense. It's just not going to be the case. There is an opportunity here for us to change it up. And I think where it comes to in relation to offsite in particular is the fact that we can start to think of things more like a product and really open the doors up. We had a really funny chat with, with Autodesk recently with Amy Marks in particular from, from Autodesk. And we were talking about the idea of this kit of parts approach. Can you build a building from Lego blocks? No, is the answer to that really. Like you couldn't, you, you could, but you shouldn't. As we discussed earlier, these elements are not fixed. They have relationships in different materials. So while you might have a, let's say a panel that is very repetitive, the way that it hits different materials is it changes how it performs and how it acts and the way that you would finish it. The idea that you can have everything just down to these kind of Lego blocks is really not very appealing to us. So the way that we've approached it is to say, well, how about you think of it as a kit of products and you think of it as a series of products that come together and then you design the edges. So let's focus on those parts. So let the building be filled with products. Let's get 85 to 90% of the building filled. Let's not worry about what exactly the design in our floor buildup is, buy a product for the floor, but then design the edge conditions and let's use our talents and the skills that we have in the industry to handle that. So we're really focused on that aspect of it. I think uh, there's been a few things happening in the industry at the moment where people have said, okay, cool. We're going to do a platform. We're going to have a pre-designed kit of parts from a pre-ordained supply chain. But as a small company ourselves, how exactly do you enter that supply chain? How exactly do you enter that platform? It's the gatekeepers that we're slightly concerned about. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do at COPE is that we've taken this approach where we're going to be IFC first. So we're going to be open code base to start with uh, in relation to our geometry. We're going to be also pushing things to be able to allow people to write their own code and to write their own algorithms that they can keep for themselves. And then we're also going to be opening up to any supplier. So it's very much, if you have a product, you automatically get into this list. We don't want to have a closed door approach to it, but. And I think to answer your question, maybe more directly, Chris, I think part of the issue is that some of these product manufacturers are quite small. They're quite disparate. They have a kind of supply chain that they sit within. They have certain contractors who purchase from them, certain suppliers that they feed into. It's small. And what we need to be able to do is to make the entry point for technology as low as we can. And if you've been involved with companies who, let's say, introduce Revit as an example, you know, I've, I've trained a lot of people in how to use Revit. And initially it was a three-day course. Absolutely none of those people could use Revit properly after three days. It's a lot of knowledge to be able to use that tool and to be able to use it effectively, like months and months of experience of being able to build up. It's not good enough. It's really not the right approach. So what we want to do, and thankfully lots of other companies in the industry are doing at the moment, is making all of that in the back end, keeping all of that hidden away, do all of the com complex stuff in the cloud and have a really simple environment for a user to use. Here's my model. Here's my product, run them together, give me an output. Don't get into all of the fine detail. Let us handle that. And that's where we're driving at the moment. Brilliant. No, I really like that. I really like that. Okay. Okay. Just going to skip ahead a little bit then. Offsite construction. What do you think is needed for it to take root and become the main way that we build? Would you say that there's a, is there a long ride for this? Is it there are some key things we could do that could make it a short transition? What do you think? I think one of the big things that we really got 
hit with directly in relation to our lack of knowledge when we started working with ILCA was road certification. It's an unbelievably complicated process. And fair enough, the safety and the well-being of the people who live in these homes is paramount. And so we do need a very robust process to certify exactly how these builds perform, how these systems perform and how these products act under stress. Absolutely need that. But I think from our limited experience of that side of it, we've really struggled to understand exactly the implications of that. It's easy enough for us to say we can automatically fill these models with 80% to 90% product, which is what COVID is trying to achieve. But it's making sure that when those two systems meet each other and they perform in a very particular way, that is a lot of work. There's a, it's a lot of cost to these businesses. And I think it's something that we all need to address a bit more directly if we're able to get things moving offsite a bit more, with a bit more speed and a bit more pace. It really needs to be addressed. I think that's a big one for us in particular. I was actually going to mention it to you, Chris, that I think the, one of the things that I'm fascinated about learning, and hopefully we can do this together, is it's just about how that actually would work in the industry. Is there an opportunity there for certification to be maybe a bit more data-driven, a bit more transparent in the way that it works, something that we can interact with as a group, as an industry? I think one of the things that we keep thinking about, not exactly the same, but the way that some of the planning permission work is done in Australia is very much data-driven, so you can upload a file runs through a checklist and it's able to give you your values and how, if you adhere to requirements or not. Whereas in the UK, it's very much a traditional process. Why can't that be done for certain certification processes? Is there a way for us to add enough data, enough performance specification into materials, products, and or design content to be able to get that response a bit faster? That's something we're passionate about learning about. There are some bits of the industry you could, if you were to start again, go if you start refresh yeah. today. Absolutely. One way, but it's almost having the discipline and maybe the clout just clear the old way out a little bit to, to allow me to agree. And we haven't got to work through this sort of very difficult transition. And we've all seen the project products and so projects and moves towards a new technology just running out of steam because it's just so hard to try and get past all of the clutter, let's say. It really is. So, so yeah, yeah, absolutely okay. great. Okay. Really interesting hearing what you've got to say and talk about. I'm having to sit on my hands here because we could talk for hours. There's so many questions I want to ask you, but just to wrap us up, is there a question that I should have asked you today, but I haven't? No, I think we landed on it near the end there. I think the certification thing is just this big aspect of what we're trying to do. And I think maybe if I was to think of something that we haven't discussed too much is the, the intricacies of how the supply chain is actually working right now and the reasons and rhymes and rhythms of that. I think there's a we all know how some of these things work. There's a little bit of camaraderie in relation to some the way that some companies work with each other. They have a history, they have a knowledge that they built up over time, but that ne doesn't necessarily deliver the best value and it doesn't necessarily deliver the best buildings. And to be able to break that a little bit and to be able to say, look, yes, supplier A interacts on how they have their, how their products perform, but what about supplier B and C? And it's definitely an aspect of the industry that I think that we should probably all be talking about a little bit more, opening that supply chain up a little bit and understanding its impacts, especially what's going on around the world at the moment. It feels when you watch the news at the, currently that there's all oh, the supply chain difficulties. Well, how? Tell us. Explain to us what you mean by that. Why are those things happening? It's not as simple as something being stuck on a boat. It's, it's more complex and it's a more interwoven industry. So yeah, I think the supply chain side of things and exactly how that works would be something that we would if we were to do this again, we would definitely discuss it in more detail. Okay. Well, hopefully we can. Definitely. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Dave. That's been a really interesting interview. Thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely having you on. Great. Appreciate it, Chris. Nice to meet you. Take care. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Okay. This podcast was brought to you by Trunk, the dynamic scheduling platform for offsite construction, harnessing AI to help your factory deliver more each day. 
Check out www.trunk.works to find out more.